This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Um, This episode is going to be a kidding prep recap and reassurance episode. I ran a a question on Instagram like last week, I think, or a few days ago. I don't know. Time is very difficult for me right now as far as days between things and whatnot. So at some point in the not-too-distant past, I ran a question on Instagram and asked what people wanted to hear about. And because it is pretty much either either active kidding season or you're coming up on kidding season for your goats if you breed them and have babies uh there were multiple questions for uh let's talk about kidding so we're gonna recap and reassure about kidding stuff and maybe i'll say come up with some new stuff there's probably going to be some overlap but yeah Um, Thank you all for your patience with me and my crazy life and not posting regularly. Uh, My schedule is changing yet again, so my farm call schedule will be more regular, and I will spend more time on the road talking about goats to myself in the truck and therefore recording podcast stuff. I think the next episode is going to be about hooves and hoof health. Uh, My patrons on Patreon requested that as a topic, so that's one that I've been meaning to do. And also when I was writing some quick notes for this episode, a note from like my Evernote app from vet school popped up and I was like, oh look, there's some information about hooves and hoof health for goats. That's a sign from whatever that that'll be the next episode and we'll probably get some tales from the farm in there as well because things are somewhat coming together there and now it's february 3rd and we are like getting down to time crunch to be able to have a place to milk goats uh by the end of this month and uh yeah it's challenging because the central main power still hasn't turned on our power and that has been a whole saga that Devin and I can share with you on the next episode of Tales from the Farm other usual housekeeping stuff if you want to get in touch with me you can reach me on the email at goat.cara at gmail.com you can find me online at goatdoc.com I'm in the process of uh, revamping my website so that will be up soon and kind of combining my practice website and my podcast website all into one consolidated source for all things goat doc on the internet so that'll be I think I get that out in the next week or so and I will update all of my things with that um so that is goatdoc.com you can find me as far as social media mostly on the Instagram these days which is at goat underscore doc uh the Twitter is at goat doc and I think that's all the ways to get in touch with me um you can click the contact tab on the website 
else, if you are new to the podcast or if you're old to the podcast and you're like me and you are bad about rating and reviewing, uh, you should take a second and touch the little thing on your phone screen that allows you to rate and review the podcast because the more rates and reviews the podcast gets, the more the artificial intelligence computer algorithms notice that people are listening to the podcast and then it comes up higher in search results so more people can find it and it's like a a a self-fulfilling prophecy of people finding the podcast so that is good because let's spread the knowledge about goats uh what else uh if you are if you want to go above and beyond with your sharing with your sharing the love of goats and goat knowledge and you like what I'm doing enough here that you think throwing a couple bucks a month is uh, throwing a couple bucks a month at this is worth it uh, having the information having the resource you can check out my patreon page which is patreon.com slash goat doc and there are some patron rewards on there and I am brainstorming not as we speak but currently uh, some new patron reward ideas for things that are helpful or maybe helpful for you as people who raise goats or are interested in goats so you can uh, I will update when I do that and that since I'm working on my website I'll work on that too and make that happen hopefully all before kidding starts the um let's see so that is the patreon another thing i'm just going to mention here is that like the podcast is coming up on some like milestone numbers and as the instagram and i haven't been super active like obviously my podcast posting has been slacking and my instagram posting has also been slacking because life is crazy Um, But people are still finding me and finding the podcast and I'm like coming up on some numbers on those things that are kind of fun. Like we're uh, the Instagram is going to get to a thousand followers here in the not too distant future. I think Um, the podcast is coming up on 50,000 total downloads, which is a nice round number and kind of a big number. That's kind of fun. And the podcast is also coming up on like 100 rates and reviews. When all of those numbers hit, which I kind of like how they're like, not, it's not super close. It's not like the final countdown yet, but it's steadily approaching that, that number. And when all, I feel like those things are all going to happen at close to the same time. And when they all happen, I'm going to do a giveaway. Um, I'll probably run it through the Instagram. I'll also mention it on the podcast so you can go to the Instagram and enter. And, uh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. I have, I already know what I want to do a giveaway for, and that will, uh, that will be a surprise though. So that's, that's coming. If you want to get there sooner, tell your friends to listen and rate and review and find me on Instagram. Anyway, all of that, uh, business keeping promotional blah, blah, blah is now over. Sorry. And we're going to get to the Kidding 2020 episode for recapping Kidding stuff and reassuring you about Kidding. It's going to be fine. Um, also, amongst... Oh, before I do that, I see it's... I've not been podcasting enough, so I forgot to disclaim. 
that this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinarian client patient relationship with your local vet. So, before I get into this, I just want to mention if you are looking to absorb all the kidding knowledge that you can from me via podcast medium, um, you should also go back and check out episode 19, which is Care of the Pregnant Doe, uh, episode 21, The Paraparturian Doe, and plus or minus, if you're really nerdy like me, um, episode 23, which is Ode to the Placenta. So all of those are, I'm probably going to overlap a little bit of stuff that I say in this episode with those, which is why I said the recap part of this. Um, and uh, so there'll be a little bit of overlap, but repetition is good. It pounds the things into your brain and then you maybe remember them. Um, and yeah, if you want more detail about those things, go check out those episodes. So, kidding 2020 reassurance. First of all, I, I think, you know, I said this in other episodes. Devin and I used to get, like, super stressed out about kidding. We were, like, waking up at all hours of the night and going out to the barn, like, two weeks before due dates and being really worried and all of these things. And over the years, we have gotten much more inclined to stay in our beds than we were back in, like, 2008 when we first had goats being born at our house. Um... And everything's, you know, generally things are fine. Goats are really good at having babies. Um, they're, they're pretty darn good at it. Like 95 plus percent of the time, they're going to do it and they're not going to need your help. Um, but this, I guess this kind of goes back to my, one of my favorite phrases about medicine in general is that it's better to ask and have it be nothing than to not ask and have a disaster. So being prepared for that less than 5% of the time when not things don't go smoothly is good. Um, but remember that 95 plus percent of the time your goats are probably going to have babies and be fine. Um, I tend to probably be a little bit more hands-on about kidding than some people are. I figure that if I was in labor, and if you listen, have listened to the podcast for any length of time, you probably know that I don't have human children. I'm not really interested in having human children. Um, but labor doesn't look like a super fun time. So if I was having a small living thing come out of my body I would appreciate whatever someone was doing to make it happen faster and have that experience be over so uh yeah I I don't know seems like that's nicer sometimes (laughs) so maybe I tend to probably be a little bit more hands-on with my own animals than some people are because why you know what I just said um We get a lot of live kids at our place. We don't tend to lose a lot of kids right at birth due to, like, 
moms who are dumb and don't lick off their faces or they get squished or things like that because we tend to be fairly hands-on. I sometimes, well, whenever I think about this, I think about when I was in vet school and uh, we learned about like horse labor, horse parturition and how like basically horses, you generally leave them alone. Horses are generally even better at having babies than goats are and like rarely, rarely need help um but when they do need help you need to help them so that we would we sat and listened to this very well respected like neonatal foal like pregnant mare focused large animal internal medicine specialist tell us about how we don't need to do anything and then she proceeded to (laughs) share a video of a a foal being born in the hospital with her, like, she was there. She wasn't doing the videoing. She was in the video. And she was very much helping that foal be born. She was there and cleaning it off and, like, helping assist it being born, like, pulling it out faster and all this stuff. Like, so, yeah. So she and I kind of have the same thing. It's probably fine if you leave them alone. But uh, we tend to be a little bit hands-on. So... There are things that I do that I've learned over the years that, you know, you may not be comfortable doing or may not know to do. But this is another thing about kidding is try to experience as much kidding as you can. Um, If you have someone nearby you that raises goats and kids out a lot of goats and they don't mind having you either observe or if they're happy to have a hand with that stuff then check it out and hang out during kidding and uh you'll learn stuff so it's a it's an experiential thing sometimes some of the stuff i'll tell you is kind of like a rule where it's more of a hard and fast rule like if something doesn't happen in this many minutes then you need to intervene but some of the stuff is more of like you learn it over the years of doing it so yeah um so I talked about the stages of labor in the, I think it's the paraparturient doe episode. So you can check that out for um, more detail on the stages of labor. But the stage two labor is what everybody gets excited about because that's when the babies are coming out. Stage one labor is less exciting. The doe is acting kind of funny. She, she's acting like something's going to happen. Stage two labor is when things actually happen. And this is where you are maybe more likely to need to do something. If you need to do something, this is probably when you're going to need to do something. When, how do you know if you need to do something? My rule of thumb for telling people who are new to kidding about kidding is that you, if your dough is in active labor and pushing like actively abdominal press pushing for 20 minutes without progress, you need to intervene. If in a normal stage two active labor, 20 minutes of pushing should make progress of getting a baby out. Now, progress means that, like, doesn't mean that necessarily that the baby's going to be fully out, but it means, like, if she started pushing 20 minutes ago and you don't see anything happening, you need to check out what all is going on in there. If she started pushing 20 minutes ago and now you've got a head and feet, great. 
and then 10 minutes later you've got like arms and head and neck great and usually by the time you get that much goat kid out it's not much longer before the whole thing's gonna flop out of there so 20 minutes of active labor um so then the baby's out great i will do another episode on uh neonatal goat kid care and uh like what we do with ours like immediately after they're born and i gotta do a failure of passive transfer episode too because that's a really interesting subject um but i'm not really going to talk about the kid too much in this episode mostly about the dough so the dough got the baby out um and if you're there great we tend to help squeegee all the birth goo off of the kids after they're born and make sure to squeegee it away from their faces and then we put it in front of mom who does a much better job cleaning them off than we do and we do a lot of laundry during kidding season so be prepared and have lots of towels uh so then your dough has had a kid and then what your dough probably i feel like more commonly goats have more than one kid at a time so then are you expecting another kid uh could be and how long do you wait for another kid well that depends on the dough it also depends like has she had two kids and there's one more in there because generally in my experience the third one of triplets tends to take the longest to come out and these are like mechanics things that like if you're thinking about the uterus and the uterus is full of babies and then the uterus starts to squeeze down because it's time to squeeze the babies out then the first baby has the most like not really emphasis but like the most imperative need to come out because it is the most crowded once the first baby has freed up all that baby space in the uterus then there's it's not as immediate a need for that dough to feel that the next baby has to come out there's space in the uterus and the uterus needs to contract down to account for that baby space before it's like super important that the next baby comes out of course there are exceptions to this that sometimes you got two kids trying to come out at the same time and they, then they come out one right after each other it just depends on the case but i had does be like an hour in between kids and then i get impatient sometimes and i may help them more because i want to go to bed in general i do not reach into a doe's vagina unless i feel like i have to if a doe has been in active labor for 20 minutes without progress you better believe i'm sticking my hand in her vagina like that's the kind of not not the doctor way to say that the doctor way to say that is that i'm going to do a vaginal exam um when I do a vaginal exam on my own animals, I scrub up with betadine and I leave a little bit of betadine scrub kind of soapy sudsy on my hand for a little bit of lubricant and um, a little bit of antimicrobial action. And then I will try to not stick my whole arm in there unless I have to. But doing a vaginal exam on a doe is not like, ooh, I stuck two fingers in there part way. Doing a vaginal exam on a doe is like, you got to put probably your hand in there. You put your hand your hand in there until you figure out what's going on. Um, 
and you want to be clean about it. When I do a vaginal exam on other people's animals, cows, goats, whatever, I scrub up and then I put a clean glove on. Um, I'll also use a little bit of like OB lube on this. Um, in this case, I get the OB lube by the gallon uh, jug. I, yeah, that's my preferred lubricant. Uh, lubricant lubrication is always good. Um, I like to have a few gallons of that stuff around at kidding time because it helps to get babies out when <laughs> you need it to do that. Um, so yeah, like if you have a goat and the goat is going to have babies, you should be mentally prepared to do a vaginal exam. And yes, that means to stick your hand in her vagina. Um, when you stick your hand in there, you need to like think about what it is you're feeling. If you do a vaginal exam and you don't feel a goat baby part, um, you kind of have to keep going until you figure out what it feels, what's going on. Uh, if you stick your hand in there and you don't, it doesn't feel like an open tube through the pelvis. Uh, and it feels like you come up against a wall, then the cervix may not be open, and that's a problem. And then you should probably call your vet, uh, because that might be a C-section. If the doe is in active labor and she is not dilated, that's a problem. Um, and the uterus can rupture in that case. Very, very rare to have that happen. Um, I, I hesitate in episodes like this about making people worried about things because very, very rare for that to happen. I've kitted, I don't know how many goat kids out of my own does over the years and have done two C-sections um, and have had hundreds of goat kids come out the normal old-fashioned way and that's the way I like to get them out. Um, so, vaginal exam, if you stick your hand in there and you don't get into the uterus, that's a problem. But like I said, very uncommon. Perhaps more common in sheep, there's and, and it happens in goats too. There's this thing called ring womb where the cervix does, fails to dilate. Um, I should talk about that in another episode because that's a whole separate thing. Uh, in a normal labor, if you stick your hand in there, you're doing a vaginal exam, um, if the doe's water hasn't broken, so if the amniotic sac, which is the amniotic sac is the sac that contains one of the babies, um, if that has not ruptured, often you stick your hand in there and you feel what feels like kind of a soft water balloon. It's not a water balloon that's like super full of water and ready to pop. It's kind of like a medium full water balloon and it's soft. And sometimes you can also feel a goat kid part through the water balloon. Um, Sometimes I can tell what goat kid part I'm feeling through the water balloon, and then I just leave it alone. Um, if, I, if I can tell by feeling that that goat kid is in a proper birthing presentation, great. I'm not going to do anything else about it, probably, unless I'm in a hurry and it's 2 in the morning. Um, I'm going to let that labor progress naturally. 
generally when I do that vaginal exam too, I don't have to stick my arm way in there to figure out what's going on because the kid is presenting properly in the birth canal. So proper birthing presentation. I can't remember at all if I talked about this before, but the normal goat kid way of being born is for the front feet and the nose to come at the same time, or you can have one front leg and the nose coming at the same time. These all have doctor words that have to do with like the the how <laughs> how the kid's anatomy matches up to the dam's pelvis, and I learned it at one point, but I don't remember. Um, normal like head first presentation is head. So nose first with one or two limbs. If you want to, in the case of a one limb forward, sometimes with really, really big babies, it's a little bit easier to get the baby out if you get both of the limbs forward. But often, because goat kids are so floppy and flexible, often you can get them out with just the head and the leg, um, and that's okay. Uh, so that's frontwards facing, uh, backwards facing babies, either both hind feet first or one hind foot first. Um, depending on the size of the kids, sometimes they come out with one hind foot first too. Um, if this is a really big doe and she's got quads, all those quads are going to be real little and then like... They, I've seen big does have multiples and squeeze them out full-on butt-first breech position. Um, but two hind feet is fine. Uh, one hind foot can be fine. I've gotten kids out like that before. Uh, and what else? Um, one thing to remember about the feet, and I will try to take pictures when kidding starts of what the feet look like, is they're not hard hoofs. They have this little, like, uh, gelatinous, um, it's probably mostly keratin, um, soft, smushy stuff covering the more uh, horn-like keratin hoof wall. Then that just dries off, <clears throat> dries up and comes off as they dry off once they're born. But that's to protect the inside of the uterus from little pointy hooves. So sometimes that can be confusing if you are um, trying to figure out which feet you're looking at. As the feet don't look quite like feet, it can be confusing to figure out which way they are uh, presented. Are those front feet or are they back feet? One way you can always tell if they're front feet or they're back feet is by feeling the legs and figuring out which way the first two joints are bending. If the first two joints in the limb are bending in the same direction, then you have a front limb. If the first two joints are bending in opposite directions, you have a hind limb. So that is like kind of the foolproof way to know. Um, and you get better at this. I it's like Sometimes a dystocia to me is like a fun puzzle. It's like a, kind of a fun, stressful puzzle, but it's a fun puzzle to figure out. Um, so I, I actually kind of think it's fun. The uh, So then positions that uh, you definitely... So positions that are fine. Head and two front feet. Head and one front foot. Both legs, both hind legs coming at the same time. Those are all fine. And the doe can kid those babies probably by herself and definitely with a little bit of help. 
Um, the other positions, one hind leg out, one hind leg forward, you probably want to assist with. And then the two positions that you more often than not need to assist with are a breech, which is bum first with the hind legs forward, or um, a head back presentation. So a breech kidding uh, presentation is not like a crisis. Um, breech, I hear sometimes people say breech and it, their feet are coming first, the hind feet are coming first, and that's not a true breech. A true, true breech is bum first. Um, and usually if you're doing a vaginal exam uh, and you feel a tail, that's what you got. You've got a breech birth. Um, in general, most of these need to be repositioned and need to reach in there and grab one hind leg and then the other hind leg and pull the hind legs out first. These guys do not need to be rotated around to try to get their head first. I don't care about that. They can come out with their hind legs first just fine and um, that's, that's a normal birthing position and it's much easier than to try to rotate that whole baby around inside that uterus and much safer for the dough. I don't know if humans need to be rotated to come head first if that's a thing and that's why some people think that needs to happen but I've, I wouldn't be going for that if I have a, a bum first. I'm gonna, uh, sometimes with these guys you need to uh, you can break the amniotic sac if you need to to give yourself some room to work. Uh, you can often you need to push that baby back down into the uterus because if it's up in the birth canal and the baby's pelvis is up in the mom's pelvis, there's no way you're going to fit the legs out there. So you have to push the kid back into the mom, which she's not going to like and then uh, reach down and get one hind leg and then the other hind leg. Uh, and then you can pull them out. Uh, this is one where you probably are gonna be in there like up to your elbow. This, this is a, you gotta be kind of mentally prepared for that. As you're reaching down in there and uh, feeling for those hind legs, usually I reach and grab a hoof and pull it kind of across diagonally and then up and out. Um, and I try to cover the hoof with my hand to protect that pointy end of the hoof or protect the uterus from that more pointy end of the hoof. Um, I have seen does, like especially in high multiple births, like triplets or quads, and it's a big doe, like a big multiparous doe. So multiparous just means that she's had more than one uh, kidding. They tend to get stretched out a little bit. There's more room for things to be in there, and um, the the birth canal is like easier to come out of, more space, not so tight. And uh, I have seen does, like if it was a little kid, like if the kid was small, I've seen them squirt them right out, full on breach. And okay, if it fits, it fits. Um, generally the breach position is more challenging because the pelvis and the, the hind limbs get stuck up in that, uh, in the dam's pelvis and can't fit through. The other 
position that you almost always need to assist with is with the head back. So this is usually a front, a forward position. So the kid is trying to come out with its front feet first. And you might get one front foot or you might get two front feet, but then you don't get a head and the head is turned around with the nose pointing towards the bum. This is my least favorite <laughs> getting presentation. Uh, sometimes they can be really, really stubborn on uh, getting that head back around, but you really, really have to get that head back around um, to get them to come out. Yeah, I worry about... Uh, stress on the kid's neck if the if they are squeezed out through that dam's pelvis with the head backwards um and not to say that it, that's probably happened in the past I can't think of one in particular I usually get in there and turn the heads around and usually they just don't fit because you've got the head and neck lined up with the shoulders and that increases the width of that shoulders which is the widest part of the kid um, to pass through the narrowest part of the birth canal. So that just doesn't work. Um, sometimes these kids, uh, like if the kid has died, um, which I've seen because the birth, the kidding isn't progressing and maybe somebody's scared to reach in there and get the head around and all of these things. Um, if the labor isn't progressing and the kid is in there for a prolonged period of time, they can die. Um, they can basically suffocate if their blood supply is compromised. The umbilical blood supply is still carrying oxygen to the baby until it gets out and then, uh, and then the lungs take over. But if the head is back um, and the birth isn't progressing, they can they can die. Um, and then, in my experience, uh, dead kids are more difficult to get out because they don't they don't have any desire to get out. Um, live babies tend to be like birth is a stressful thing. It's it's a hard uh, hard experience. There's stress involved. Um, I think I taught. I think I talked about like the birthing partrician cascade in one of those other episodes that I mentioned. Maybe not. I'll have to go back and listen and, and then I'll share it with you if I didn't share it. Um, but fetal cortisol plays a role in initiating labor. So like the babies are stressed because they're crowded and it's time for them to get out of there. So it's a stressful, it's a stressful thing. Um, but if they're dead, then they're not stressed and there isn't really like an impetus for them to get out and they're harder to deliver because they're like all, they have no muscle tone, they have no movement, they tend to like be in the position that they're in and then they stay that way. So like a dead kid with the head back is, can be frustrating, but you can get them out of there. Um, I always try for a vaginal birth if I can. Um, lots of lube, 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 have some gallons of lube, um, having a syringe, like a big 60 mil syringe, or like I use a pump, like a reflux pump for horses, which is probably like, probably most people don't have those just hanging around. Um, but I have a reflux pump for horses and I will pump lube into the uterus if things are dry or if things are really crowded and I want to open things up and get some room to move around. Um, so use lots of lube. Can't use too much lube. Um, 
I guess what are some other things that can happen with the dam around kidding time uh, one of the things that's not uncommon usually in older does uh, multiparous does does that are carrying multiple uh, fetuses and they're really full um, is that the, like so these are a couple like abnormal things that sometimes you have to deal with uh, you can have like a vaginal prolapse so basically the pressure inside the abdomen from all the kids and the rumen and all the guts and we've talked about all the that during pregnancy especially late pregnancy uh, space in the abdomen is at a premium it's hot real estate and everybody wants to get in there and it's really crowded so if that intra-abdominal pressure is enough, then the vagina will uh, get pushed out a little bit. And sometimes it can, sometimes probably more commonly in goats, like the doe will like lay down. So she's squishing her belly and that increases the pressure and her vagina will kind of like peek out through her vulva and looks like a little pink spot coming out of her vulva. And then when she stands up, it goes back in. My degree of concern about these varies on a few things. One is like, do I just see it a little bit? Like it's peeking out of the vulva <laughs> and uh, mostly it's in. In that case, and, and like the dough is due any minute. In that case, I'm not going to get too excited about it. Um, I'm going to watch her to kid and, uh, you know just being aware of that for her for next time because if they do this once they may do it again um, there's probably some genetic component to it so if you keep daughters out of that goat uh, you know be prepared that if they kid when they get older they might also be prone to a vaginal prolapse um, like a full-on vaginal prolapse is like the vagina comes out of the vulva and it kind of gets stuck there um, won't go back in it gets kind of past the, the point of uh, kind of popping back in and those should be replaced uh, by your vet uh, They there's different ways to kind of keep them back in until the kids come um, there's prolapse retainers this may be more common in sheep too um, there's prolapse retainers you can do a, a stitch in the vulva to hold things together um, but that's something that your vet needs to do that's not in general something that I expect most producers to do especially the any suturing like they want an epidural for that because that's not comfortable um, yeah um, other like post kidding things that can happen while we're on the subject of prolapses uh, a uterine prolapse is possible not common in goats really I've never seen one in a goat um, knock wood now I'll probably see a bunch this spring uh, <laughs> I hope not uh, so that is just like there's too much pushing and the kids come out and then the uterus comes out after them uh, and the uterus needs to be put back in Again, this is something that your vet's going to do and, like, not super common in goats, fortunately. More common in cows, uh, but not super common in goats. I guess the only one other thing I was going to repeat, and I've probably said this in at least one other episode, is about stage 3 labor. And stage 3 labor is the expelling of the placenta and... 
that is, you know, that's that happens. If you are interested in placenta, go listen to the episode, the Ode to the Placenta episode. I think it was 23. Um, whatever I said at the beginning is correct because I had written it down. Um, so for details on the placenta, go check out that episode. Uh, but people get really excited about the placenta like worrying did she pass it did she retain it did it come out was it in one piece is it normal is it not normal I mostly don't worry about that that much like the placenta is super cool um it's a really interesting and amazing temporary organ that Uh, mammals make to sustain their babies during pregnancy I think ruminant placenta in particular is extra cool and I go on about it for like at least a half hour in that other episode but I don't get excited about whether I see them pass it and whether I think it's the whole thing and when did they pass it and blah 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 I just I just don't get real excited about it um and I have never flushed a goat's uterus. Uh, I see sometimes people talk about that, and I don't, I've never done it. I don't generally think it's indicated. Uh, if it's, This could be like some transferring over, like from people who have had horses and raised foals or had a pregnant mare that foaled because retained placenta is a huge problem for horses, uh, and they should have a uterine flush. And uh, yeah, that it, it can be a big problem for them. But for ruminants, for cows and goats, like generally, I don't worry about it. Um, uterine flushing, when I was in vet school, that's kind of gone out of favor. I don't put antibiotics directly in the uterus. I, um, I just don't do that. I put them on good systemic antibiotics. And if they need it, if they need it. Rarely, um, unless it was a really hard kidding, like it's a it's a case by case basis where, whether a doe gets antibiotics after after a really hard kidding. And uh, I don't, I generally try to avoid it. Um, the and I also so as far as the, going back to like retaining the placenta, I think that. 90 plus percent of the time when people are worried about the placenta the doe passed it at three in the morning when you were asleep and then she scarfed it up or she like stuck it under a bunch of hay with her like pawed it under hay with her paws like I just I don't worry about it I don't worry about it and then to kind of reiterate another thing that's normal I think I've said this before uh after labor after uh, after delivering babies, the uterus goes through this process called involution, where it goes back from holding like 30 pounds of baby and like probably another 15 to 20 pounds of uh, of fluid, which is crazy. That's probably that's on the big side, so that'd be like a big full size dairy dough that had like big triplets. Um, but I've seen them do it. So all that uterus held all of that stuff, and that uterus was really big. And then it turns, it, it involutes, and it goes back to its, like, quiescent state of not being pregnant. And it's, like, the size of your hand or smaller. Um, the whole thing could fit in your hand. It's a crazy organ. So in order to do that, all of the tissue and, like, the inside, the endometrium, the lining of the uterus, it kind of sloughs off and refreshes itself, it, like 
prepares to be pregnant again next year. And uh, that process produces some vaginal discharge. And it's usually brown to red. It usually doesn't smell foul. Um, it usually has, like, an odor, like a birthy, uh, you know, biology-type odor. But it usually doesn't smell bad. Um, and it can happen and start anywhere from, like, three to five days after kidding or it can start two weeks after kidding and it can last like two to three weeks and I just don't get excited about it um the those that are eating and drinking and making lots of milk and acting like themselves which is what they should be doing after kidding they're fine I don't worry about them um yeah so that I think is going to wrap up the kidding 2020 recap and reassurance episode uh come find me and ask me questions if there's something that i missed that you wished i'd explained or um something you know any whatever other questions about kidding that i didn't address or address in those other episodes where i've talked about the paraparturient dough um care of the pregnant dough and the placenta i will come up with some uh notes for myself to do an episode on neonatal kids and uh dealing with them and yeah i think that really is gonna wrap that up i think i covered the things i wanted to cover and i hope it was helpful for you guys happy kidding season to everybody if you haven't started yet have lots of healthy babies and easy kiddings um and start hashtag kidding 2020 on twitter or on uh, instagram and i will add that to my follows so hopefully i can see some of your babies that's gonna do it for now and i will talk to you guys next time